to another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. You can find my movie reviews and interviews on print and online in the U.S. and around the globe. But every Monday, I am right here on Adrenaline Radio at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And we have a jam-packed show for you today. Our first guest is already on the line, but before I introduce him, let me just give you a brief rundown. We're going to be talking Stage LA and their 33rd annual fundraising gala, which is their finale after 33 years. The song stylist himself, Jake Simpson, is joining me in a second. Then we're going to have two incredible directors talking about a documentary that I can't urge every American to see uh, highly enough. Christian Tarot and David Salzberg, the directors of Danger Close, uh, which is a story told by Edward R. Murrow award-winning journalist and reporter Alex Quaid. Uh, I talked to Alexia on Friday and an absolute joy to speak with her. And now we're going to have, I'm going to have her directors on today and we're going to talk about Danger Close. And then the half hour mark, somebody many of you will recognize from his days of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, actor John Shea, a.k.a. Lex Luthor from that show, John is directing. He's been steadily acting all these years, but he is also directing, and he has a new film out called Grey Lady, starring none other than Hold On To Your Hats, Last Ship fans, Eric Dane, our all our favorite, favorite commander. So it's going to be great to talk to John about Grey Lady, and of course, for all the Last Ship fans, about working with Eric Dane. But right now, I am so thrilled to start my day with this gentleman, and I use the term loosely, I think. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, my love. Hello, Jake Simpson. What's up, beautiful? I'm I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. I haven't talked to you in forever. I know. Where are you? Are you in L.A. yet, or are you still back working on your car? (laughs) You know what? I've actually... I'm actually in the garage. I've got my welding gear on. Um, this is the coolest thing ever because, you know, here I am, my little hometown of a thousand people welding and talking on the radio. Well, hey, you know that works for me, and you know I love all the <laughs> updates as you work on poor Betsy. <laughs> my first girlfriend gave it that name, and it it just suddenly stuck. I, I don't know why, you know, 25 years later. But, no, you know, I get the biggest kick out of all of all of the photos when you give updates of on your work on restoring your car. Oh, man. Well, you know what? It looks worse now than it did last time you saw it. Oh, what'd you do to it? <laughs> it's in about a thousand pieces. <sighs> Thus the welding. That's what you got to do. I know. I know. <laughs> but something else that you got to do, besides helping me do my laundry when you get out here... <laughs> That old joke. <laughs> and the laundry has piled up, let me tell you. <laughs> I'll bet. In two years? I would imagine so. No, it's not that bad. Um, but <laughs> the big thing that you're going to be doing in a couple weeks, and it's so sad. It's On one hand, it's lovely. On the other hand, it's so sad. You are going to be performing at the 33rd Annual Stage LA Gala. This year, it's Idols and Icons is the theme. But it's also oh, going yeah. to—it's also going to be the final stage LA fundraiser. Isn't that sad? That is, it, you know. And what's even sadder? And Carol Cook had talked about this a few years ago, and she said people are going through AIDS fatigue, and they don't think that AIDS matters anymore uh, because there are more highbrow diseases and campaigns out there. But people seem to forget that AIDS Project LA—that's boots on the ground to people that need help. It's not going for research. It's actually helping people who need the help and with medical bills, with pet care, with transportation, with meals. And and HIV is actually on the rise again. It has been steadily the past two years. You know, I think we've had uh, uh, sort of a a misconception lately that, you know, the drug culture has gotten so much better for fighting HIV Mm -hmm. and AIDS that... All of a sudden, I, I think people think, okay, well, maybe I don't have to be as careful as I once did. Right. And that's just not true. No. <laughs> You've got to be careful. And, you know, unfortunately, with, with Stage LA bringing down the curtain on May 13th for the final time, 
there goes one of the stalwarts uh, in the, the critical care that, that is provided to patients. And, and I wish I could say, Debbie, that it was going away because it's not needed anymore. I know. I wish that's the reason why this was the last one. Um, you know, but of course we all realize it's, it's not. Yeah. And so that's something that's really sad. But I can only hope that someone will pick up where stage left off. You know, that's what I'm hoping. Um, and I know Scott Barton is listening. And so, Scott, before I even have a chance to email you about it, I'm putting the bug in your ear. So is Jake, you know. <laughs> I'm on board anywhere. Anybody that does anything for it, I will absolutely do it. Because it's it's beyond it's the great cause that it supports. It's a fun night of entertainment. Now the oh, it's wonderful. Now, granted, in 2015, you didn't get to perform because another gig came up you had to go do. I did, yeah. I was so bummed about that. After you'd been rehearsing and everything. Yeah, I had already been through the rehearsal process, and the song was going really well. And then all of a sudden, I can't even, you know what? I can't even remember what the gig was now that came along. <laughs> See, that, that's, that's how, how unimportant it was. I guess so. You know, I think I had to fly somewhere for something. I can't remember. Uh, what but now what are you going to be doing? Because this is Idols and Icons. Now, we already know that you're an icon in some fashion. <laughs> in some fashion, Jake. I'm not so sure about that, but I really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so what will what will your contribution, because when you think of idols and icons, you think of them in music, you think of them in stage, you think of them in television, you know, who who will you be saluting? Well, I'll tell you what, this past Christmas was kind of a sad day, I know for a lot of us, uh, when George Michael passed away. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, talking to David Galligan, the director, and we were trying to come up with something, and I said, uh, he, he actually suggested something by George Michael, and I said, oh, my gosh, that's perfect. For you, it uh, is. I would love to do a George Michael song, any of them. <laughs> I'll do anything from Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, you know, to, uh, <laughs> to whatever else he had. And so I will, uh, I'll be singing uh, Careless Whisper, which is oh. actually the first song I ever sang in my entire life that wasn't in church. Really? Yeah, I, I sang it when I was in the sixth grade with the high school jazz band. How poignant. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, and, and I'm really looking forward to it. And with your range, see, that's one, of the, that's one of the great things about you, Jake. Your vocal range is such that you can cover with wonderful style and an interpretive style so many songs from so many different artists. Oh, well, thank you. You know, <laughs> you're, not, you're not pigeonholed. You know, some people, they can only do, say, an R&B. Some people can only do, like, a Barry Manilow pop or something. Um, probably not yeah. the two best examples in the world, but they, came, they sprung into my head. But <laughs> you, you can cover such a range. Well, I think, you know, there's something both positive and negative about not being able to pigeonhole yourself. Yeah. Um, the, the positive thing is, yeah, you can go out your entire life and do every bar gig and every style of music on the planet if you want to. You just have to work on it. The, um, you know, the kind of the negative thing is that you also, since you're not pigeonholed, it's a lot harder for uh, folks to figure out what your music is, what your style is. And I know for me, growing up doing covers my whole life, it was really hard when I wanted to break into original music because I was like, well, okay, what's this song going to sound like? Who's this song going to sound like? It's really tough to find originality when you've spent your entire life copying people. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's, quite a, it's quite a job sometimes. Yeah, but the fact that you do original material, too, I think that that's... That really helps you. Well, I, you know, I try. I really do. Nothing is ever good enough that I write, um, at least as far as I'm concerned. I, I'll sing a song a thousand times to myself, and the first time I get on, this, on stage to sing it in front of people, I just kind of go, oh, gosh, don't chicken out. Don't chicken out. Don't do Don't Stop Believing. No, don't do Don't Stop Believing instead of this song. <laughs> no, don't yeah. do that. That's every, everybody will think they're in a karaoke bar. I, and that's what that's what life feels like sometimes. <laughs> oh my god! So I have to ask you, who are you most most excited to see perform at this year's stage event? Because the lineup oh. is great. 
I know. I, I personally, you know who I'm excited to see besides you, Carol, of course, doing an Ethel Merman um, song. Obviously. <laughs> Carol is always my pinnacle of these shows. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm stoked to see Barrett again. Um, Barrett and I used to hang out a little bit when we both lived in New York 10,000 years ago. And um, we've, we've, we've met each other thousands of times walking back and forth on and off stage. But we've never actually been on the same stage at the same time together with, you know, doing, doing songs on the same stage. So I'm stoked about that. In fact, I sent him a, I sent him a Facebook message, something about, you know, what duet are we going to do? So <laughs> 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 we've been friends for a long time. And man, I just, uh, Vicky, Vicky Lewis, I think yeah. is going to be there. Yep. And hello, stoked. <laughs> and Melinda Doolittle is going to be saluting Ray Charles, I understand. Oh, my gosh. This is like the best show ever. <laughs> I know. I mean, stage is going to go out with a bang. Seriously. Yeah. That's, this, is a, this is a hard-hitting show this time around, and I am so stoked to be a part of it. And, of course, everybody needs to... The tickets are very much avail, still available. Oh, that's hard to believe. That's, I'm very disappointed to have to say that, but tickets are, are available. You can go to stage. Well, we are a while out, though. Yeah. But so, you know, and, you know, it seems like in LA we we always do things at the very last minute, right? But you want to get a good seat in the Saban Theater. Well, that's true. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I'm actually I have to make sure it's still available. But I'm planning on getting my front row seat again that I normally get. Well, if you don't get that, just let me know, and you can just hang out backstage with me. Oh, well, I'll hang out. I mean, back- the view's not as good. But- <laughs> No, no, no. I always, I do my part. I get my, I pay for my ticket and I get my seat and I cheer all of you on. And then afterwards, you and I can go hang out. Awesome. Martinis on me. Ooh. Kettle one kamikaze martini. Done. And we'll go to my bar. Then they can be on the bar. Oh, that's even better. I know. I know. You know I'll take care of you. you we can do that in lieu of laundry. Oh, that's so much better. I know, isn't it? That's such a much better option than doing laundry. Oh, I know. Well, Two years know, later, I still hate laundry. I know. So do I. <laughs> we both love coffee and we hate laundry. So true. You know, so. But I'm so glad that, that I could squish you in today. When, you well, know, I really appreciate it. You know, Scott, immediately when, because he let me know, we broke the news on Behind the Lens last week. We broke the news right here about this being the finale for Stage LA. Yeah. And uh, then... What a bittersweet he, thing to have to do. <laughs> I know. And then I said, who can you get me? Every week we'll, we'll do, we'll I'll devote some time, even though I'm booked up with days. And he said, I'll get you Jake for Monday. I said, okay, fine. And he knew that I would jump at the chance because it's you. Oh. Well, and I, I love talking to you. I appreciate that. You know, and unfortunate, unfortunately now I have to stop talking to you because my, uh, my next two guests, two incredible directors, Christian Tarot and David Salzberg, are holding. They've got this new documentary out called Danger Close. It's part of a three-part series, Heroes of Valor, about soldiers serving in Iraq and Afghanistan, telling some of their stories. Oh, wow. And this one was done by the Edward R. Murrow winning, award-winning journalist Alex Quaid. Alex used to be, she embeds with troops. She's the first female reporter to embed with special ops. And this particular film is the story of one man. It focuses on one man who helped build Camp Pirelli over on the border of Iraq and Afghanistan at the height of the war in 2007. And he lost his life. And it's a journey how she ended up meeting his family and his family asked her, to go back and see what was left of what their son had built. She totally financed everything herself. There was no network behind her. Wow. It is, I mean, you get goosebumps as you watch this. Oh, I can't wait to see it. (laughs) Yeah, well, be nice and maybe, maybe I can get you a screener. Awesome. 
problem. <laughs> well, I've got my... to come out and work on my new record anyway, and so I will be there a lot. I'll be back in L.A. for quite a bit because we're getting ready to start a Kickstarter for a whole new standards album that we're going to start working on in about two months. And as soon as you start the Kickstarter, you can come back on the show and we can promote the heck out of it. I love this. Thank I you. I know. All right, my love, I must let you go. Jake Simpson, everybody, Stage LA, May 13th, stagela.com. Get your tickets. He's going to sing George Michael. <laughs> Thanks, Debbie. Thanks, Bye. Jake. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Jake Simpson. Uh, and now I am beyond privileged to have these two lovely gentlemen joining us on Behind the Lens Christian Tarot and David Salzberg, welcome, gentlemen. Welcome so much. Hi, Debbie. Thank you, Debbie. This documentary, I don't know if you've talked to Alex. Alex and I talked for about 45 minutes doing a phone interview on Friday, and we've only emailed five or six times since then. Um, <laughs> this is, as I was just telling to, uh, my last, to Jake Simpson, my last guest, and this is an amazing documentary. You watch this. It is riveting. The skin, the hair on your arms and the back of your neck raises. This, these are stories that people seem to forget. You know, a lot of people are going through, I think, war malaise or something. Um, but this reminds you, it personalizes and reminds everybody what the stakes are, what exactly is going on out there in the field, and how the lives that are touched, be it brothers in arms or Gold Star families and other fa military families back here in the States. Um, I applaud you for the series that you put together with Citizen Soldier, The Hornet's Nest, and now Danger Close. Amazing job, gentlemen. Thank you very Thank you much. so much. You know, um, By the way, C and I are in different places. That's so fine. And in, in, in it's easy to tell us apart because I have the very difficult Boston accent. <laughs> And usually need a terp when I speak on these kind of calls. And Christian and I are honored. And we have a great team. Burt Pedrosian, Wendy Anderson, Alex was amazing. The Betchers were amazing. The soldiers with the Citizen Soldier film have been amazing. Um, but you, you were honored to do it, and you said it. We, we as filmmakers and storytellers have an obligation to tell these stories to make sure these kids aren't forgotten. And we need to do it in a non-political way. Mm -hmm. And Christian and I, early on, made the decision to make it, you know, one of the seven basic storylines in film is ordinary man and woman in extraordinary circumstance. And that's what we are, we are committed to, not only on these three films, but we have two more coming up, one at the end of this year and one next year that we're committed to. Oh, my God. How did you get involved with Alex in putting... The danger close together. Well, we were, we were, um, actually, we were about three years ago in Napa at the Napa Film Festival uh, showcasing the Hornet's Nest. And like David mentioned, Mike Betcher, who him and his son Carlos are the subjects, the main subjects of that film. And Mike has a long storied career like Alex, their peers. And really, she's the best of the best, and he's the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And she was there at the Napa Film Festival, and Mike introduced us to her, and that's how the relationship started. And then once we understood her amazing journey, being the only journalist ever to embed with a special ops team yeah. for an extended period of time, meaning for more than like a week, and she was there for two years. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it happened to be a female and betting with 12 men teams. These are all men teams. It's the only part of the military where women are not integrated are the special ops units. So just think about a woman embedding with 12 men teams for an extended period of time. There's a lot going on there. Um, and uh, it was just, it blew us away. So that's how we met her. And I guess it was about three years ago. Wow. But because I know, you know, and speaking with Alex, I mean, uh, this footage, the events that revolve around Pirelli, Robert Pirelli, go back to 2007, 2008. Now, what I find amazing, and people will see this when they see the documentary, 
Alex was doing all of her own. It was just Alex. There was no camera crew with her. She had her tiny little handheld video camera that she was shooting everything with. And she's right there in the firefights with with the unit. It is out it is amazing. It is chilling in many respects. She she is a dynamic person. As you know, she is incredibly tenacious. Um you know, it's difficult for anybody to embed with these operators on any level for any period of time. And as Christian mentioned, let alone a female journalist. Mm-hmm. And she is determined to make sure when she's on these embeds that she's not a liability. What you know, I'll tell you something that happened that was interesting with the Pirelli family because they are these films have have a family aspect with all of them. Mm-hmm. And when you get to work with whether it's no slack and second battalion, eighth Marines and the Hornet's nest or the Oklahoma 45th national guard and citizen or the eight teams in this film, mm-hmm. you know, usually they're semi suspect when we first start talking to them because they're used to Hollywood having an angle left or right. And again, we don't do that, but the Pirelli family specifically was an incredibly unique story uh, Robert Ryan Pirelli, staff sergeant in the Green Berets, was killed in 07, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And the dad was a Vietnam-era Marine. And Robert was a, Rob, as he's known, was a combat engineer, so they build things and blow things up. And when Rob died, it really destroyed the family, yeah. which we've seen with other girls. How could it not, right? You lose a child. And... When we were digging through, Alex has so much footage, and she's been on so many different missions. Christian and Jason Murgatti, Eli Baldrige. I'm sorry, I got to mention these guys' names because they oh, worked please, their butts off to do. Please these. do mention them. And Doug Newton and Frank Sinton and the team with A. Smith Docs. Well, so we're digging through this footage, and we find the story about Rob, and we're told by everybody the father's passed away. He died of a broken heart, we were told. Mm -hmm. And the family became really kind of hiding, not, you know, especially the mom, Nancy. And we're told that she won't speak to us. And we find out that the family lives in a town called Franklin, Massachusetts, where my brother has lived for 25 years, and he's a retired uh, Massachusetts lieutenant in the police force. Mm -hmm. Um, And his best friend coached Robin Hockey. Oh, my. And well, so figure out in all the towns in the entire country, a pivotal story in the footage would come from someone that we basically, my nieces went to school with the younger brother and sister, mm-hmm. Stacy and Sean. And, you know, the accent obviously didn't hurt us. And the fact that we knew, you know, we knew we had a connection in the town. The mother took the call. And over the next period of months, Christian and I and the team worked with her and the son and the, the brother and the sister. Mm-hmm. And they gave us permission to come into their lives. And, you know, it, it was, there's a little bit of, it comes from above, no matter what religion you are. There's, it, there's something spiritual with these films when you're honoring fallen heroes. Very much really, so. so. You know, their, their thing is they want to just be remembered if something happens. Mm-hmm. No, so very that, much so. There's a bit of, I'd say, a mitzvah, blessing. And of, and of course, all of all of these pieces, everything aligning, the way it did to tell the Pirelli story, with your involvement with Alex. I mean, this is divine intervention, as far as I'm concerned. And this was a story that had to be told, and that you were the people to tell it. Well, thank you. We we feel that we are the people to tell it as well. We've made a commitment. After the hornet's nest, we made a commitment to tell these stories from the front lines using real footage, and like David said, non-politically. And we, it's amazing when you start to meet the, the guys and gals from the units, mm-hmm. and then you start to meet the families. And some of them, unfortunately, are Gold Star families. And we take great pride in the fact that we, we, we become a family with all of them. Mm-hmm. We actually send emails and texts to each other on holidays, and we, everybody says we love each other. And I think we've become, our films have been termed digital medicine. 
by the soldiers, the, the, the airmen, the seamen, the Marines, and their families. They've said that it, it's so real, it takes you right there, again, on the front lines, that it basically allows them to heal. It allows them to cry for the first time. It sparked a dialogue within their family unit. And they've termed our films digital medicine, and that's kind of the highest honor we could we could have. Mm. You know, I'm curious how once you have once you decided to make this film and you had the angle of you know coming at it from the heart of the Pirellis, how did you go about the directorial process of deciding, you know, gathering up because there are so many men who were in Pirelli's unit and others that are interviewed, you know, after the fact. Um, how do you and how do you sort through all of these hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage that Alex has? We well, have a great team. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, we have a team. <laughs> no, well, it's all right, Steve. You, we we do have a great team. We have an unbelievable team of yeah, I call them kids because they're younger than me, but <laughs> you know, as I mentioned, Jason Murgod and Eli Baldridge and Doug Newton, and there's a, you know other. Uh, Jason Trueblood and these these kids, and most of them never ser- most of them never served in the military, and most of them um, have had uh, have Emmys or have had a brush with Emmy. They know about storytelling. Mm-hmm. Their hearts are in the right place. And over the last five years, we've kind of trained them is not the right term, but had them learn and under an understanding of what we're looking for and how we're trying to do it. And we all just jump in, and we all go through the footage. And then, you know, kind of figure out what we have and what we'd like the story to be. Obviously, worked with Alex very closely mm-hmm. and, uh, and Wendy Anderson, who's one of our one of our partners, who's got a significant background with DOD. And everybody just jumps in and we lay it out. And it's different than scripted filmmaking, even though because you shoot to a page sure. in this, you kind of assemble to a page and then you got to fill in the holes and and believe me, the Pirellis at one point could have said to us, absolutely not, we're not interested in doing it. And I think they were able to see the hornet's nest and citizen soldier. And I know that they read different quotes from a number of the Gold Star families we work with. Specifically, I, I, I've got to give an incredible shout out to Terry and Beth Burgess, who have been Christian and my mentor. Their son, Brian, was killed along with five other heroes on March 29th, 11 at Strong Eagle 3. And Terry and Beth are unbelievable. Actually, Brian's birthday was today, so mm-hmm. we've been posting up for him and his family. But, you know, if, if, you, if you have a heart and a soul and you get in with these families, it, it, you know, it's just digging and being, being um, not showing graphic violence Mm -hmm. because you don't have to as a filmmaker yeah i was gonna say Um, because some of the footage that i'm sure that is not shown based on what alex was shooting is extremely graphic and extreme extreme violence it is it is it's very graphic but we don't we made a choice early on not to show that Mm -hmm. out of respect for the families and because look these the, what we hear is, thank you for doing this movie, because his son will know his daddy was a hero when his son grows up. Right. And that is, you know, I get chills in my body when I say that. I also want to give also a shout out to Mike Trella, who does our music, and he's composed the, the Hornet's Nest, Citizen Soldier in Danger. He's kind of our in-house composer. And what's really unique about what we do is... All of the music in our films is original. Mm-hmm. He scores it from scratch. Every cue is original. And then he makes he creates original songs from the from the score. And then what we do is we're fortunate to be able to get A-list artists to come on board and create original songs for the film. When they see the film, they get inspired. So the Hornet's Nest, mm-hmm. we had Winona Judd and her husband, Cactus Mosier. Mm-hmm. And... Winona, obviously a multi-Grammy winner and an icon in the industry, and she's such a supporter of the military. She created a song, and it really allowed us to have someone that went out in the marketplace and promoted the film for us, and, and she was a great partner. Then on Citizen Soldier, we had Joe Walsh, 
mm-hmm. and Joe Walsh did an original song, and he went out and promoted Gary the film. Clark that, killed it too, Christian. And, Gary Clark's song in Twilight, it's unbelievable in that film. The family's calling yeah. ass for the music. And, wow. then, and then and then Gary Clark Jr. Um, helped us on Citizen Soldier as well. But Mike has created these original songs, and he's been um, shortlisted for the Academy Award for Best Original Song for the last two movies Wow! on the original songs he's done. So he's just this amazingly talented guy, and we're able to use music in a very special way with the filmmaking style that we do to make it feel really big. I mean... These films feel like they're big scripted feature films, mm-hmm. but they're documentaries using real footage. Is there anything, when you're in the editing process, how hard is it? I'm sure that there's footage there that you wish you could include that because of time constraints to make it manageable for theatrical release, for just for audiences to sit and watch. How difficult is it in picking and choosing footage and letting some of it go? It's it's really difficult. The good news is if we find uh, a story that is maybe a standalone story that doesn't fit into the thread of, of, as you said, the theatrical type film, which has a beginning, middle and end, we're able to because of you know our partnerships and working with iTunes or with our Gravitas or Broad Green who do our DVD and digital releases, mm-hmm. there's ways to take these stories and use them um, in additional material. Uh, you know that people can get more about you know other stories that came from the films. Um, so we're able to cover different stories, and also you know we get requests all the time to do more of these um, after this film is out, you know, it comes out on Friday in limited theaters and then it's out wide in May. You know, we have a film called the Apache warrior film, which will come out in October. And, you know, in the person that we met at an event, uh, Colonel Alan Hahn, who's an Apache pilot that Robert Duvall couldn't play. He's mm-hmm. that much of a, he's that much of an air cab guy. Oh God. Um, he told, he told us we're doing the film. He literally came to Christian and myself and said, I've been watching you guys for four years. I decided two things. One, I trust you, which is a huge compliment. Mm-hmm. And two, he goes, you're making my movie for my fallen Apache pilots. And then <laughs> Christian with the Marine film, another one. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and I just want to say one, one thing, too. We, we have another group of amazing partners at Charlie Mike Productions. Charlie Mike... Um, Charlie Anderson and Mike Camello have made a great commitment with us to tell these stories and they're, they're really connected and they've brought Walmart on as a partner for these projects, which has allowed us to really move a lot of DVDs and mm-hmm. Blu-rays and get them out to a community because Walmart really supports the military. Very much and, so. And yeah, that their customer very much resonates with the type of storytelling that this is and in the heroes and the valor that we show, um, we just couldn't be more proud of of what we're doing and what, you know, our company, Strong Eagle, and again, Burt Pedrosian, our partner, and Wendy Anderson, and David and myself, um, we're, just, we're just committed to doing this. We're very proud of this and the good that it does for the community because the community cannot be forgotten. Mm-hmm. There's, they're fighting right now yeah. on our behalf so we can have this conversation. You know, I'm I'm curious from a technical standpoint as you're as you're putting the film together, because Alex is out there shooting with a little a tiny little handheld handy cam, uh, you know, 2007 2008 you know models. How difficult is it for you in post production when you're trying to do color correction, matching things up, or does that fall to the wayside, and you just leave it with the raw look of the night vision and whatever she's captured? kind of both you know uh, we try to you know we don't we don't want to change something um so it's not accurate mm-hmm. uh but with you know the, the lower resolution you know people are now carrying things that are 4k and you know garments or gopros but um you know the audience is used to seeing real because of the you know, the last 10 plus years of reality TV. Sure. And I, and I think the realness of what we try to leave the films 
you know, the, the heart and soul of the films are that they are real and they are not actors. And if someone falls, it's real. They didn't go home. Um, so the audience, I think, appreciates that. What do you think, C? I think you're right. I think it's a little of both. We 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 have a we have a, a great team on the post production side that does an amazing job of mixing the media, matching the media, blending everything, making the formats work for all our different distribution outlets. I mean, we were amazed. Um, there was a there was a premiere down in Tampa about a month ago. And Tampa is the home of SOCOM, the special ops community. Mm-hmm. And they welcomed us and had this, this historic Tampa theater holds, you know, like 1,200 people. It's this amazing, beautiful theater with balconies. And, and they packed it for our, for our event down there. And that's a huge screen. I mean, it's bigger than a normal theater. So we were very concerned about how the film was going to look on that massive screen stretched like that. And, uh, and our team just did an unbelievable job, and it looked, it looked amazing. I mean, it looked spectacular. So seeing it theatrically, it looks great. Obviously, on your TV at home, it looks even better. Um, but it does still have that graininess to it mm-hmm. and that real effect in the green with the special ops and the, the night vision and such. So we're just very proud of how these films end up looking. I'll tell you, I mean, I watched it on through a link on my TV, and it looks spectacular. That's great to hear. Thank you. You know, watch it on a 40-inch, and it looked absolutely spectacular. So, did you get a chance? Did you get a chance to see the very end of the movie and the credits and how we honor the fallen? Yes. Uh, hey, I watch it to the bitter end till the screen goes black, <laughs> and I loved loved how you honored all of the fallen at the end of the film that is so so important and that's something that i always loved that george stephanopoulos would do and still does when appropriate on his sunday on the sunday show um would always honor the fallen at the end of the show and i think it's so important because that way the names are they are they are memorialized so be it 50 years from now 100 years from now when somebody looks at this film they're going to see the men that sacrificed. Many and many and women. Men you know, and women. I know in the SOCOM community, they haven't had female KIAs, but in the other films, there we are. had. Um, yeah, there are. The No Slack unit lost a young woman who was a mother, a Latina sergeant. She's amazing. We were told, and then in Citizen Soldier, Serena Butcher was uh, 19 years old and one year in, and she wanted to be an RN. Mm. And and um, in the it, the thing the thing that's important to, with what we do with these two, we're really big on uni- uniting, not dividing. Mm-hmm. So when you get a group of people, doesn't matter if they're left or right, they come into this theater and they all yeah. come in as individuals, and yeah. they watch the film like we had in Tampa. We had you know a huge audience on a Thursday night at five o'clock. And they create everybody. Everybody becomes one. Mm-hmm. It becomes about you know these people that do amazing stuff to protect our freedom. They go with their scent. Um, and the best thing Christian mentioned Tampa. We've had something happen. We have something happen at every screening we ever do. But in Tampa, Nancy Pirelli and Sean and Stacy came, and we don't tell them what to say. And we always bring the families on stage. We don't do a traditional director or producer Q and A. And we did this thing where Nancy did press, and unbeknownst to us, she did an unbelievable piece mm-hmm. with the local news, the CBS affiliate. But when we were on stage, she got two standing ovations from the crowd, including guys that had been in Rob's unit. And then afterwards, Sean and Stacy said to us, you have no idea how big a deal this is because my mother kind of, for the last 10 years, only went to work. She wouldn't leave and do anything. So the fact that she even agreed to do this was just unbelievable. And that's a huge motivator to our whole team to help people, including to help the whole country, unite the country. Because we're, again, back to being really divided right now. And um, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, unfortunately, gentlemen, we are actually out of time now. This kills me. <laughs> this kills Thank me you for having us on. that I have to say goodbye to you. But 
I, I would love to have both of you come back on to talk more, not just about Danger Close, but about what you do and with your other films that are coming out this year. We'd be honored. Thank you so much. I mean, you know, Danger Close, I can't recommend it highly enough. This Friday it's in theaters, May 16th, VOD, digital, and I guess it'll expand wider to theaters then as well throughout May? Um. We, no, we're just doing a limited okay. um, right now in the, in theaters, and the real big release is the DVD, the Blu-ray, the digital on May 16th. Fabulous. Hey, you could even come back on the day, but you can come back on on the 15th and talk more we'd about love, it. We'd love to. I would love it. I will email Ryan and make sure he sets it up so that we can talk more thank about you. this. Gentlemen, thank you so, so much. This, is, this has been an absolute honor to have you, and I look forward to having you back. Thank you. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. And now, oh, my God. And now we have the wonderful John Shea joining us. Are you there? Are you there? I'm here, Johnny. Hello. Thank you for holding on. I was wrapping up with our two filmmakers doing a... On their military documentary, Danger Close, about uh, a military family who lost their son. So, Sounds I, like the kind of film I want to see. It is, it's an amazing, amazing film, John. But another amazing film, Grey Lady. You had me at the beginning of this film. I was drawn in from the first frame, John. Thank you, Debbie. Lynn. <laughs> I, you just blew my mind. I didn't know what to expect. I know your work so well in front of the camera, but it's been almost 20 years since you stepped behind the camera with a feature. And then you've got Eric Dane, who is at the top of his game right now, thanks to The Last Ship. And it just an amazing job. Where did this story come from? Because you wrote and directed Grey Lady. It's true. So, you know, it's, a, you know, like every film, it's an epic story. And it begins 10 years ago. And I'll just give you the headline. So I have a great friend named Armin Bernstein. He runs Beacon Pictures. And Beacon, you probably know, has made... Uh, you know, 50 great films for the studios. Mm-hmm. And, and I started a film for Army years ago at Warner Brothers called Windy City with Kate Capshaw and Josh Mostel, and that he wrote and directed. Anyway, he lives on the Nantucket with me. And he said, hey, let's do a thriller and set it here in the off-season and see if we can give it a touch of poetry. And so that inspired me. Sorry, I'm on the streets of New York. Oh, that's okay. Uh, sorry, I, you know, I'm, I'm going from one thing to another, so I'm calling, <laughs> I, I apologize if you're hearing trucks rolling by. But anyway, I, I, this idea of doing a thriller with a touch of poetry kind of inspired me. And so I went to work. I was living in New York at the time, and then I, I started writing. I would take my kids to school in the morning, and I would get back into bed with a cup of coffee, and I would pray that a story <laughs> would come to me. And slowly but surely, one did. And, you know, I have to say it took a while, because I hadn't really trusted that whole writing process for a while. But it began to take shape, and every six months I would fly out to L.A., and I would meet the Army, and we would powwow about it, because uh, he was producing it, I was going to direct it. And, um, and then it came to be. Uh, and... And also, I have to say that what I like to do is I like to read certain fact-based things, that is, autobiographical details from my own life, into a story that is completely made up. Mm-hmm. But I like to hang those details on a classic genre. And in this case, yes, we wanted to make a thriller, but what kind of thriller? And then I thought, well, a romantic thing. I lived on Nantucket Island, and I've lived there since the late 60s. And I was going to college, going to school, and I have to say, it's a place where you fall in love. And, um, and it's a place where people come to heal from wounds, and it's a place where people uh, go to find redemption. And I thought, what if we made an Eastern Western 
What if we had a hero ride into town who's never been there before and have to hunt down a you know a bad guy? And what if he's what if then that environment ends up you know playing a big part in the role in in the film, which is why it's called Grey Lady and not anything else, because it's for me about that kind of mystical quality of that island mm-hmm. and how it solved the mystery not only of the crime but of the deeper mystery of the man's soul. So anyway, that's what he attempted to us. Well, and of of course, filming it on Nantucket Island, and you couldn't have picked a better cinematographer to work on to lens this film for you. Because what you and Andres captured with your visual tonal bandwidth, the visual tone with that gray haze shrouding the secrets of the story, shrouding the secrets of Eric Dane's character, Doyle, but and then moments when there are breakthroughs and you have and the sun will break through. It is so beautifully lensed and you feel that romanticism and that mystic quality of what's hidden. And that just elevate that elevates this story so much, John. It is a beautiful, beautiful touch. You know, thank you. And I have to say I was extremely lucky. Uh, to have Andre Barkoviak uh, shoot this film with me. And Andre, the beauty of, of Andre is that you know, he came from Poland, where he had studied in that great national film school. Mm-hmm. And, and he had shot 12 films with Sidney Lumet, and he shot Speed, in Terms of Endearment, and all these great films, Fifth Year's Honor. But all those years, he lived on Nantucket. And he raised his children on Nantucket. They went to Nantucket High School. Mm-hmm. And now Marco was a young filmmaker who worked on our film with us. But <laughs> when I went to Andre, I said, Andre, we've been friends since the 1970s. We've never had a chance to work together. Do you want to make this film with me? And he said, John, when the money is in the bank, come and talk to me. I don't want my heart broken. <laughs> so, you know, he'd been trying to make a film on Nantucket himself and always dreamed of it. And so we were able to unite uh, forces. And, you know, he is a force of nature. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're right. He did an amazing job in shooting the film. I'm extremely lucky to have had him. So I, so I had two major partners. I had Army Bernstein, the producer, and I had Andre Barkovia, the DP, helping me on the film. And so if it's any good at all, it's because of this teamwork. Well. Okay? And because of the fact that Andre lives on the island and he knows the light, and you yourself as an actor and a director, you know how important the light, the light and what it, how it diffuses within the air. That can make or break a scene, a film, a story. And the fact that the two of you are so intimately familiar with that diffusion that you get on, with light on Nantucket Island, that just is imbued even deeper into what Andre has done. Well, I agree. And so, you know, I think there's like the world divides itself into two kinds. The people who have been to Nantucket who might want to go see the film to remind them of what it was like. Mm-hmm. And, the people, and the people who have never been to Nantucket who would like to see what it's like. And I hope we don't disappoint on either case. I have to say that while I was writing the film, you know, I, I, I've had a summer home on the island for many years. But then what happened was I realized the only way the film was made is if I actually moved to the island. Mm-hmm. So we rented out our house in New York, and my wife and kids turned our summer cottage into a, you know, a year-round place, put the kids in school, and then I started really nailing down the locations, and all my favorite spots on the island were there. And um, I have to say, people on the island were amazingly generous in offering me their homes and their cars and, you know, the open spaces that are so dramatic and so beautiful, you know. For me, it has that David Lean feel every once in a while where you just, you know, your breath is taken away because mm-hmm. of how beautiful it is. So, anyway, uh, I have to say the people of the island who I know were the people who opened the doors for me and made it possible to make the film. Well, you know, somebody else who helped you make this film what it is is your editor, Tirsa Hackshaw. The first thing that I saw by Tirsa was uh, Lori Petty's directorial debut, The Poker House, back in 2008. Amazing, wow. amazing job there. Uh, but now to see Tierce's growth to what is being done with Grey Lady, outstanding. That you feel the tension. The tension is palpable throughout the film. It, it's very exquisitely done, John. 
Well, Tersha Hackshaw, I felt like when I was working with her that I had two brains, and the smarter brain was in this female body called Tersa Hackshaw. Um, she came to Nantucket from L.A., and she spent the entire summer working with me for three months, and we sat side by side with her assistants in a cottage on Nantucket. And when we'd get stuck in a scene, we'd go for walks on the beach and out in the moors, and she got to know the island in Tila, too, and, and then the island slowly, as she fell in love with the island, the island fell in love with her. And so I have to say, you're right. I, ha- I was, you know, Tersa is also a writer, mm-hmm. and a really great writer. And so she brings the literary qualities for editing that is unmatchable. And so, uh, once again, I got extremely lucky in having a great editor. Well, and as you mentioned at the top of the interview, you know, talking about the poetic nature, there is a definite poetic feel. There is a lyricism to the entire film and with her editing. It's, it really comes together just so exquisitely. You know, I, I, you have just beyond impressed me with this film, John. You really have. Uh, thank you. And, you know, and, and the other great thing that I have uh, at my disposal is because I live on the island, I also work on the artistic director of the theater on the island called the Theater Workshop. It's been mm-hmm. around there for 60 years. And so I got to meet all the actors and all the directors and all the designers and all the creative people on the island, all the artists and the musicians in the six years where I was artistic director. And I was able to ask them all to be in the film, and I wrote little cameo parts for them all. And so all those supporting roles are people uh, from my acting company. And uh, Arnie kept saying, you know, you live on an island sort of like Bergman did or, or on Pharaoh. You know, uh, and you're so lucky because you have, like he did, uh, all these great actors there. Mm-hmm. And that, that's another benefit because when you're trying to tell the truth about a place, and, you, and uh, my, my heroes are always, you know, the kind of neo-realists who mix, mixed professional actors with non-professional actors. You know? mm-hmm. And so, anyway, I had that opportunity in this film, and I'm very grateful for all those people as well, you know, many of them that have helped in the film. But and of course, I would be. I know they're all t- tuning in now. There is a legion of Last Ship fans that are listening to the show right now, based on what I was seeing on social media this morning, because they people want to hear you talk about how you got Eric Dane as your lead character of Doyle. You know, honestly, uh, we have a our executive producer is a woman called Wendy Schmidt, and uh, she helped uh, create uh, the movie the movie theater on Nantucket. And to dedicate that movie theater, uh, Robert De Niro came to the island with his agent, whose name is Josh Lieberman from CAA. Mm-hmm. And, and I had dinner with Josh the night before the gala, and I said, Josh, you know, I love Bob De Niro, but he's too old to play Doyle. Who else do you represent? And he had read the script, and he said, "Let me. what if I give it to Eric Dane? He called a couple of days later, and he said, I'm having dinner with Eric. And he gave Eric the script, and Eric read it the next day and said, I want to I wanna do it. So I flew from Nantucket to L.A., and I met him with Arnie uh, at Beacon and, and Suzanne Ellis. And we had a two-hour luncheon together, and I realized that Eric Dane, there was nobody who could be better than Eric Dane at this. I, I saw, I'd seen a lot of his work on television, of course, but there's something deep, deep about him mm-hmm. in, in, in the flesh. And as, a, as a human being, he's complicated, and he's intelligent, and he's powerful. And I was... You know, I realized he was the only person in the universe who could really pull it off. And that's how Eric got cast. And it, what's so beautiful about watching Eric in the role of Doyle is that he doesn't have... It seems that he has less dialogue than some, or it's just the way you have it edited. But his face, you see that complication and a mind that is... The wheels are always turning. Just one look at him. And the camera captures that so eloquently. And it, it's riveting to watch him. He commands the screen here. You know, I'm, I agree. I think it's a movie star turn. I think yeah. that proves that, you know, yes, he's great on Grey's Anatomy, and yes, he's great and you know, The Last Ship, but none of those shows give him the opportunity to do what he does in this film. This mm-hmm. is a, a movie star performance, and I, I do hope his fans will show up uh, to support him in it because... You know, he's a powerful actor. 
And, you know, I think he's like a young Clint Eastwood, you know, that strong, silent type. Who can, mm-hmm. He can kiss the girl, but he can also punch the guy with equal grace. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, he, he can handle himself in any situation, and you know that's a great quality to have. And of course, you've done something that nobody has managed to do in all these years. You actually let Eric and his wife Rebecca Greyheart actually work together in a film. Yeah. You know, I was <laughs> I was thinking about uh, who could play that part opposite him. You know, it's a very important part. And I, I, I before I reached out to Rebecca, I, I wanted to ask Eric. I said, you know. Do you want to work with your wife, man? Have you ever done that? You know, because I know that there are many, you know, like you know, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, and you know, and there are also Eli many. That, and Jack. There are I many said, that you know, don't want to, <laughs> and a lot of them don't want to. But he said, "Let me think about that." You know, he thought about it for a day, and he said, "Yeah, I talked to Rebecca. She wants to do it. Let's do it." So I have to say, it was amazing to work with them because you know it's a very intimate thing that they have together, and, and a love relationship that they have together, and. Well, they brought that to it effortlessly. They also bring another kind, as you see, drama that mm-hmm. is, they've never had a chance to do in real life. And, yeah. you know, uh, and, and Rebecca was great, and I think they had a lot of fun making the film together. You know, but your entire supporting cast, you know, you've got Amy Madigan, Adrian Lester, always one of my favorites, and I don't think we see him enough. But then a real standout for here is Carolyn Stotesbury in her dual role as Eli slash Beth. What a psychological turn she does in this film. You know, I agree, Debbie. If there's two discoveries in the film, you know, the people who are not stars yet that I hope will become because of the film, there's Carolyn Stokesbury, who gives a remarkable performance as Eli, a very psychologically and emotionally complicated role. And then young Chris Meyer, who Mm -hmm. is opposite her, uh, and Chris Meyer is a New York-based actor. And Carolyn and I, I met in Los Angeles many years ago. But both of them, uh, without their performances, the film falls apart, as you know. Yeah. And so that's really great. And then the other person that, that I'm so proud of is Natalie Z. Yeah, standout. Right? She goes toe-to-toe with Eric Dane with a vulnerability, but then a strength. She finds that balance, and it's kudos to you as a director that you bring eliciting these performances from these people, John. Well, Debbie, if there's any grace in being a director who is also an actor, it's that I love actors. And I loved working with these actors. Uh, they're all great. And so, you know, I would watch what they would do, and I would understand what they were feeling, and then you know, if there was another way to do it, we would discuss it in actors' terms and whispers in the corner. And, you know, it was all very, very, very easy to work with them. And and, and somebody like Amy Madigan, um, she just shows up on the set. And yeah. She's already begun her transformation. Uh, I, I looked for her one day. Uh, where's Amy? You know, we're going to shoot the scene. They said she's around behind the house preparing. I looked around behind the house, and she was rolling on the ground in the, in the dirt, in the grass. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm trying to break in these stupid costumes so they feel like my own clothes, you know? Um, it's just the kind of person she is. She's you know, completely authentic, and I loved her. And Adrian Lester is, you know, the great English actor yeah. who came from London to be in this film with us, and he plays Eric's partner in it and, you know, loves Adrian. So I want to work with all these people again. I want to see you work with all these people again because this is a wonderful meld. You know, know, I've I've written a sequel to it already, not set on Nantucket. I want to take the the core team of of people and create a series of films, because when Army was first suggesting this to me, Army Bernstein, he said, look at Ishigawa's um, Samurai Trilogy. Mm. Yeah. And and let's, let's see if we can tell a story about, you know, a wounded warrior like that samurai, an American samurai who... And it was out there seeking justice for people and freedom for himself. And in his search for love, you know, he comes across, you know, challenges that really lead to his evolution spiritually. You know? yeah. So anyway, that's also an inspiration that we have, and we hope to sell more of that. Mm. Well, John, unfortunately, we're totally out of time for the entire show today. So I must bid you adieu, but... I true. I hope you will come back on the show again. This has been an absolute delight. My pleasure. 
But just tell your audience, open in theaters in 12 cities on April 28th, this coming Friday. Yep. Thank you for that. Uh, they can go on our Facebook page, Grey Lady at Grey Lady Movie, and see all the details. Thank you so much for your interest in the film and for your you know, really generous comments. I look forward to talking to you again. Oh, thanks so much, John. Take care. All right, Johnny. You too. Bye. Bye. And that is all the time we have today. The hour's up. So until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 